Is it piece of chain? Or Tao Te Ching? It's the Arrow Wong podcast series. The number one Apple business and number four entrepreneurship podcast. Speaking from Hong Kong. Zenith Linkbrick is a digital wellness educator based in Silicon Valley. He survived a civil war in former Yugoslavia, received an ABA from UC Berkeley, and worked for major companies including McKinsey, BMW, and Apple before walking away from it all to live in the Bay. Sydney has seen firsthand how digital technologies, especially smartphones, can take over our lives and even destroy them. So today, he teaches and coaches people on how to build healthier relationships with their devices, create lives they love, and become better versions of themselves. His book, Untethered, Overcome Distraction, Build Healthy Digital Habits, and Use Tech to Create a Life You Love, will help you redefine what teens develop, healthier digital habits, and live a more fulfilled life. In this episode, we have the same intention for you. With the further ado, I hope you enjoy our conversation with Cindy Minkovic. Hey, Cindy, welcome to the show. Aero, thank you so much for having me. This has been a while in the making. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know that I'm looking forward to it because uh, this episode is all about uh, digital happy formation, personal development, and you know that that's my favorite topics because yeah. without this uh, core, we cannot get anywhere in life. So sure. this episode, basically, this episode is all about digital happy formation and untethered your uh, amazing uh, Amazon best-selling book. So I think the perfect place to kick start this session is: Can you share with us two major events that trigger you writing this Amazon best-selling book, Untethered? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I started writing Untethered in April of 2020. And a few months before, several things happened where it became clear to me that I had to, to write a book about distraction and how to overcome it and create more attention in our lives. And one of those events was actually an event that was occurring over a longer period of time. I was uh, working at Apple up until end of 2019 uh, here in Cupertino. And I was every day commuting from San Francisco to Cupertino, which is about an hour, maybe hour and a half drive, depending on traffic. And so every single day I was sitting on this bus and it's a private bus that Apple offers all their employees. It's really fancy, super nice in there, comfortable, great Wi-Fi. And at the same time, I'm sitting next to the same people every single morning. And for two and a half years, commuting with these people to work, I have made zero friends on that commute. I haven't really spoken with anybody on that bus. And it's weird because it's the same people. I see the same faces, mm -hmm. but we didn't have a culture of talking to each other in person. We had a culture of talking to each other through email, through the applications that we shared as employees. Um, and that was such a strange experience because when you spend uh, two and a half to three hours every single day with the same people, you typically make friends out of them. And yeah. we weren't able to do that in two and a half years. So that was kind of a wake up call of um, if, if a company like Apple can't foster friendships, uh, then who can? And so that was one of those events where it became clear to me that I had to start writing. I also had some, some personal events, um, such as I lost a lot of money, for example, using my, my smartphone because I got hooked to, to trading apps, which are becoming more and more popular. Right. And, and people, you know, it's, it's awesome that finance is becoming more accessible to everybody, but there are also downsides of it. Like for me mm. personally, it was the Robinhood app, 
which uh, which made me lose a lot of money because I wasn't really sure what I was doing, right? And so, in in my case, uh, it was it was about a hundred thousand dollars that I lost just gambling away my my life savings, basically, wow. right? Um, and that happened because I think the way Robinhood approaches finances is how gaming companies approach their customers. They try to incentivize them to do the things that are most beneficial to the company and not most beneficial to the customer. And there are many, many stories like this where the gamification of the finance industry has led to people losing their entire life savings. Oh, wow. Uh, just some side topic. Do, do you just remind me yeah. and uh, investment experience that I have with myself that uh, I didn't lose a lot of money. Actually, I make quite some money. When... Oh, great. Uh, yeah, uh, but, uh, but I, I believe, but I, I remember that it was early 2000 something when Alibaba uh, is listed uh, in Hong Kong and then I go for the IPO and right. then I, I sell it maybe the second day and then the third day, I, I don't remember the exact day and then I make about uh, 10,000 Hong Kong dollar or something and then I look at the number uh, I just realized I don't know I, I don't know anything about how I make this game, and then I just realized right. I don't I don't know what stock investment is, and then I stopped it because all, all of that time all of the people around me they are uh, look they are always doing something like that. Uh, oh, okay, I do soft trading, and then right. uh, uh, I I learned a little bit about uh, personal development. Uh, up, uh, from that experience too. So yeah, when you, uh, so not just by losing money, even <laughs> making money from investment. Sure. Also, oh, that's yeah. amazing. I'm so glad you had that insight about yourself. I think for many of us, uh, you know, these apps are incentivizing us and nudging us to invest on our money in things that we're not aware of. For example, Robinhood regularly sends out notifications and tells people when you uh, new opportunities are coming up for them to invest and there's a reward system. It's very similar to what we do in the gaming world where you are being rewarded for playing more. And now in the finance world, you're rewarded for investing more and they make the interface as simple as possible so that you can have fun, enjoy doing it. Mm. But at the same time, uh, they are making us less aware of the risks that come with all of it. God, can... Uh... So when did you leave uh, Apple as the program manager? And yeah, I left uh, the, I think it was the 25th October of 2019. Uh, uh -huh. It was my birthday and that was my oh. last day at Apple. Yes. So it was a, a birthday present to myself to uh, get out of uh, Apple, which by the way is a fantastic company. Like I had an mm. amazing two and a half years. I have nothing bad to say about the company at all. Um, and I learned so much about how technology works and how mm. uh, big companies like that are introducing technology. And at the same time became aware that for me to stare into my MacBook for 14 hours per day or to use my phone for that many hours is is really challenging for my psyche and emotional well-being. Got it. So... Um... The Warburton experience and the uh, 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 and the sorry, <laughs> somehow <laughs> discussed and uh, yeah, yeah, the, the like uh, friendship experience on the bus and, and the raising uh, of money, yeah, was was mm. um, kind of a kicker to think about what else I should be doing in life, and mm. then 
what actually made me write this book was uh, an amazing experience that I had in a 10-day silent meditation retreat called Vipassana. Uh, so it's basically for 10 days, you don't speak and you are meditating for about 12 to 14 hours every single day. Um, and during that experience, I just had a lot of uh, understanding of what was supposed to happen next in life. And it's fascinating that, uh, you know, we don't experience many moments in life where nobody mm. talks to us, right? Mm. Most of the days so we hear somebody else's voice in our head. But what happens when for 10 days you hear nobody else's voice than your own mm. inner voice? Um, and that's when it became clear to me that I had to write this book and that I had to kind of bring a new concept to life, a concept that I haven't read about before, which is the idea that we are in a relationship with our smartphone and one that is, is, has become a toxic one. And I, I believe that it's not only toxic because of our partner, the smartphone, but also because of us and how we're using it. Yeah, exactly. So um, how long did you, did it take uh, for you to write the entire book? It's not, it's, how long does it take? Totally. Um, so I started writing in April 2019. Mm. I, I obviously had the idea already and, and read a lot about this this mm. field beforehand. Um, it took me, I, I gave myself a 60-day challenge to write most of the words. So oh. after 60 days, I had written about 120,000 words that I distilled down to about 65, 70,000 words and then sent to my first editor and uh my editor came back with me with a lot of recommendations, what I should do differently and how he thought about the book. But the main recommendation that he gave me was to really structure the book around the smartphone instead mm -hmm. of more broadly around digital technologies. And so I started kind of rewriting the book in mm -hmm. uh, September of 2020. So I started writing April 2020, then September 2020, started writing the second version. And then it took me until a year later to mm. actually publish the book because it took me another five or six revisions to really, really hone, mm. uh, hone through the ideas that I thought were most useful to people. And what was really important to me in this writing process was I didn't want to give people ideas that they can find in a Medium post or in a Facebook post or just by searching Google. Mm. I wanted to give people more than just simple tactics. It's about strategies to change daily behaviors with the mm. most important partner in our lives, which is mm. this the smartphone that we carry around every single day. Uh, is it your first uh, big writing project in your life? Uh, as a, mm, yeah. Is it hard to experience the writing journey? Uh, just the writing journey, no, writing journey, right. positive publication journey. Is it hard? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I've experienced writing to be extremely easy when you're inspired and extremely mm. challenging when you have to write something you're not passionate about. Mm. Uh, I think it's like that in most things in life. When you have passion for something, it goes really, really easy. Um, and it's funny that you ask because I was, I was utilizing some of the concepts that I'm writing about in this book to write, to write my book. And so that's was, the reason why I'm asking. To yeah. Piece, go ahead. Yeah, exactly. So that there's mm. this accountability system that I'm writing mm. about in my book. Mm. And so for uh, a few months, I had a friend sitting next to me while writing his own book. So we were both writing books for about four hours every single day, sitting next to each other. And his approach to his book was basically he spent a month coming mm -hmm. up with the right chapters and the right uh, storyline through his book. Mm -hmm. And my approach was, I just wanted to write about topics that I cared about. And so I wrote a lot and he thought a lot. And <laughs> my, my writing then later got 
shortened and deleted and kind of put together into the story that I wanted it to be. Uh, but he unfortunately got stuck with a few chapters that he wasn't passionate about. And he couldn't <laughs> overcome this inner inertia to finish those chapters. And so it turned out that um, my strategy, while mm. it was uh, more confusing and all over the place initially, uh, mm. led to me having an easier time compiling a book that made sense versus he had a harder time finishing his book because there were chapters that he no longer was passionate about writing mm. when he was about to write them. Mm. Is there an example that uh, you you use the mindset upgrade you mentioned in your books that uh, you actually use these kind of mindsets uh, deploy it to your writing process? Any other examples? I yeah, think, you know, that's the best example to illustrate the big picture to the listeners. Sure. Well, I think honestly the biggest mindset upgrade that uh, I think we can go through in in this development journey with the smartphone. It's truly the idea that we have developed a new type of relationship. So in, in the past, we had uh, romantic relationships, we had family, and we had friends, and then we had acquaintances. Those were kind of the four buckets that we are used to. And we know to treat these buckets differently. Like when you are in school, you develop a sense of friendship and how to upkeep friends and, and foster great relationships with friends. And at work, you develop a sense of how to have colleagues and have good relationships mm. with colleagues and you understand what you can and cannot say and what helps the relationship what help, doesn't help the relationship mm. and similarly in a family context often it takes us many many years into the adulthood that we develop great relationships with our siblings and our parents and again the same thing with romantic relationships the first try often doesn't work out right it takes <laughs> us some time to get to a healthy romantic relationship it's similar with our smartphone actually like we are now in a in a decade long plus minus a few year few years relationship with a smartphone and we're only now starting to realize that it actually behaves like a relationship for example the the five closest people to you are mm. uh, a good approximation of who you are and the five most used apps on your smartphone are a good approximation of the personality of your smartphone mm. right if if we accept that then we understand that we can treat our smartphone in different ways and Right now, most of us believe that it's a tool, and so we treat it just like any other tool. And when, mm. when something that is more than a tool is being treated in that way, it, it uh, gives toxicity back. And right now, we're receiving a lot of toxicity from our smartphones. Mm. Um, the, the main reason why I'm saying that it's a relationship is that if we uh, try to answer the really, really difficult questions by thinking about it as a relationship, for example, should you use your smartphone when you go to the bathroom? Well, would you bring your parent into the bathroom? Would you bring your uh, romantic partner into the bathroom? You wouldn't, so why are you doing that to your smartphone? Or would you, would you wake up your romantic partner at 3 a.m. in the morning to ask what the weather is going to be tomorrow? You wouldn't do that to them, so why are you waking up your smartphone while it is charging itself? Um, so these difficult questions become a little bit easier to answer. Or should I bring my smartphone when I'm going to a restaurant that I already know the path to, that I already know that I'm meeting somebody there. Um, maybe not. Maybe we don't have to bring it anywhere. But unfortunately, when we look at numbers, 90% of Americans say that they feel anxious with the thought of leaving their phones at home. So 90% of us have this kind of codependent and slightly toxic relationship with our smartphones where we can't actually leave our house anymore without bringing it with us. Uh, any 
guidelines that we can back on track to, uh, to have a positive relationship with our smartphone. Yeah. Well, I think uh, for me personally, the biggest change in my mind was I stopped trying. I stopped trying to like delete apps and to turn off notifications. I stopped trying to improve this, uh, this distraction for myself. And I started trying to improve it for other people. And, and th there, is, there is a reason that I'm saying I stopped trying doing it for myself because when we look at statistics, it seems like we're pretty bad when it comes to taking care of ourselves. So, for example, only about 8% of New Year's resolutions get achieved. So one in 12, 13 people uh, is able to follow through with their New Year's resolutions. And when people, when people write down goals, only 25% of people achieve these written down goals. So we're, we're pretty bad when it comes to improving ourselves or making sure that we achieve the things that we try to achieve. But that, that also shows up in the medical field, for example, only two out of three people take the medication that is prescribed to them by their doctors. So that is the most direct way we can improve our health and still only two out of three people do it. However, when we look at pet owners who take care of their cats and dogs. When they get prescribed medication for their pets, 90% of dog owners and cat owners buy the medication and give it to their pets because they care more about the cat getting healthy than they care about getting themselves healthy, right? Which is crazy. And, and the same is true with, with goals. When we write it down, it's 25% who achieve it. But when we tell a friend that we have a goal, the achievement goes up to 60% just because we included another person in our lives. Mm. And so the biggest trick that I've found for myself is I try every day to help somebody become their future self instead of sticking in this loop of smartphone distraction. I help them become themselves. And while I do that, they help me become my future self. And we both create this win-win situation. And the best mm. example was obviously writing books where, me and my friend were writing books next to each other, but they're also mm. easier ways than just working together in person. Um, for example, I'm, I'm a coach on a site called flow.club and it's kind of a gym. It's a gym for your mind. It's basically mm. for one hour, you sit in this call with other people and you oh. have a coach. Mm. Yeah, you have a coach for the first five minutes who asks you some questions about what you're trying to achieve in the next hour. And then everybody works on whatever they're trying to achieve together, but they're being observed by other people while doing it. Mm -hmm. So we're creating accountability together to make sure that instead of being on our phones and, and looking through YouTube videos or doom scrolling on Facebook, we mm -hmm. make sure that we actually work on becoming the future version of ourselves that we desire so much to be. Got it. So basically accountability is a big piece uh, in this area. I believe so. Yeah. And then, Obviously, that's, that's just one way of looking at it. Um, another way of looking at it is uh, when we look away from other people and, and look at our environments is the idea of structural intention. So, for example, what would it mean? Uh, let's, let's say we look at a living room, an American mm -hmm. living room, a living room in Hong Kong. Um, the, if, if you had to answer this question, what is the living room designed around? What would hmm. your answer be? What is my living would decide about uh, about how to live a effective but comfortable life? 
Yeah, that's that's a good answer. Um, uh -huh. It's about comfort, right? Living rooms uh -huh. are about comfort. And they're also about the idea of watching TV as comfortably as possible, right? Uh -huh. So the, the centerpiece for most living rooms right now is this big TV. Uh -huh. And around the TV, we have sofas and chairs and pillows and blankets to make ourselves as comfortable as possible when we're watching the TV. And then our kids come home. And the first thing they do is they walk into the biggest room of the house, which is the living room. They lay down and they start watching TV. And when we start complaining to them, why are you watching TV? Don't you have something better to do? Hang out with your friends, play sports. But we've designed the biggest room in our house to be mm. most supportive of the experience of watching TV comfortably. Right. Mm. And so what would a living room look like that is structured with the intention of creating better relationships, better family relationships? What would it look like if it was structured around the idea of play? For example, one of my friends here in San Francisco has structured his living room around the idea of playful connection. So he wants to enable his friends and himself to connect with each other more deeply through play. Mm. And the way his living room looks like is they're basically sofas and, and different uh, sitting items like, like meditation pillows and so on, structured mm. in a circular fashion. Mm. So everybody is facing each other while sitting in that circle. And in the middle of the space, there are a couple of boxes filled with toys with gadgets like meditation mm. guns or or um he has this like device that you put on your head to focus more it's it's all different tools to play with as an adult and what often happens when we have events at his place uh, people come they grab an item they sit down they start playing somebody else joins them in the play or grabs an item themselves and then they connect over that item and get to know each other better. And so he has been able to, to foster connections among people who don't know each other just by enabling them to play together in that living room. He doesn't have a TV in there um, to avoid that distraction, which also makes sense. But his structural intention for the biggest room was connection. And I find that very beautiful of an idea. Um, similarly, the idea of uh, structural intention could be applied to the bedroom, which we're actually doing a pretty good job in. The bedroom is designed around the idea of quality sleep, but often we then bring the TV inside, which is a is is a screen that is just shining bright light into our eyes. So pretty much the opposite of sleep, right? And we've destroyed the intention of sleeping in our bedroom by bringing a TV in there. Um, and similar in our workspace, when we have too many gadgets that are distracting in our workspace, we destroy the intention of of focused engagement with uh, with our future self. Got it. Very interesting examples. A lot, uh, all of these examples are written in the book or some uh, are written in the book. Yeah, yeah. All of these examples are in the book. I have, um, you know, you, you've seen it. I have four or five major mindset upgrades that we as humans have to go through to be in a healthy relationship with this very, very powerful other. Mm. And then I have um, not nine major toolboxes that uh, that are similar to what I described just now that are actually helping us restructure our days, restructure our habits every single day so that we can uh, use the smartphones when we want it and give up on it when we don't need it. Got it. Very great examples and very, um, so many golden nuggets for us to unwrap because uh, the principle sometimes uh, it, is, uh, it is so obvious, but with the actual environment that you, like the uh, example you just talked about, the living room example, is perfect in the bedroom uh, because uh, we can actually visualize it, uh, an environment. It is not just an environment. It is an environment of your intention, how to live your life. 
I think mm-hmm. that's the message. So absolutely. Um, I think to wrap up this session, other than buying the book and actually give it a read, what would you suggest the listeners to start to do for digital wellness to live a healthy life? Yeah, totally. Um, well, I mean, buying my book is uh, is a great first step, right? I definitely uh, <laughs> recommend recommend that. And the, I think the beautiful part about the book is really the idea that I don't think that we necessarily have to reduce the time that we spend our devi- with our devices. Mm-hmm. Most other books that you will read are all talking about how do you cut down the time that you spend with our devices. And we've unfortunately shown that uh, over the past few years, we're very incapable of doing that. That we're actually rather adding an hour to our media consumption every single year. I've analyzed the data over the last few years and every year we're just adding an hour. Now we're pushing against sleep already. So it seems like all the advice that's out there so far has the intention of reducing time, but it's not really working. So if we can't reduce the time, what can we then actually do to have more quality time with our devices? And I think the most important part is to recognize that only about half of the time we spend with our devices is spent consciously. And that conscious time with our devices is already incredible. I love being on my smartphone when I'm doing something that I really, really desire mm-hmm. to do. I know it gets me closer to becoming the future version of myself I want to be. And, and that time is flow. And we mm-hmm. all desire flow. So if, if that's three or four hours a day, I'm so, so happy with that time. The mm-hmm. problematic time and the time that I think we should become more conscious of is the time that we spend unconsciously just doom scrolling or mm. watching uh, the the youtube uh, algorithms and giving into the recommendations that's the kind of time that causes depression sadness that uh, gets us away from who we want to be in life that's the time we can focus on and mm. there are so many tricks uh, and, and ways to start with that but the major thing is bringing awareness to usage um, there are mm. apps that help with that um, one of the apps that I like using is called Yap Reminders, and that's something the listeners could do right now. They could download this app. It's Yap, uh, Y-A-P-P, Reminders, mm-hmm. and it allows you to set up notifications. So mm-hmm. what Yap does to me is uh, 10 times per day, it sends me a message, and it asks me, are you proud of what you're doing right now on your smartphone? It just brings my consciousness back to my Mm. smartphone usage. And other times it asks me, are you having true fun and joy with your smartphone usage right now? And Mm. so in those moments, my consciousness kicks back in and I'm like, oh, wait a second. No, I I actually don't want to be doing what I'm doing right now. So I will stop. Or yes, I'm enjoying myself and I bring consciousness to the process of enjoyment. And Mm. that's also amazing. Unfortunately, many of us get stuck in uh, in the algorithms and then we hurt ourselves we complain to ourselves we tell us ourselves we should be working on this startup Mm. we should be working on ideas we should have a better relationship with our partner but sometimes we're just having fun and we should also recognize that these moments Mm. of fun are actually very good for us Mm. and enjoyable oh really i highly recommend everyone uh, to buy your book because i think the book is a great piece of uh, content for you to not absorb knowledge but reflect on your own behavior with the electronic devices around you because when you are talk about um, uh, how you use how you see yourself use the app use the uh, living room and bedroom uh, actually there are some behaviors that you you do is different from math but when mm-hmm. you're talking about it 
it triggered me to think about myself and sure to analyze my environment to analyze my behavior so yeah uh so the listener just uh buy the book give it a read is there anything else that you want to share with the listeners any yeah totally the um the audiobook is coming out uh, just before Christmas. So mm. for those who don't love reading, uh, there is an alternative to that. Um, mm. A friend of mine is uh, representing my voice in the book, and he has a wonderful lo- voice uh, to listen oh. to. So that's amazing. And if somebody wants to hear about some of the tricks that I just talked about, I actually have a free PDF on my website they can download right now. It's a, it's a 20-page guide with my favorite strategies, and it's for free. Um, so all you need to do is go on askcini.com instead of ask Siri, it's ask Cini, um, and that, uh, gives you the guide for free. And, uh, so you can start right away getting more focus and less distraction in your life. Amazing. So thank you so much, Cini. Uh, thanks for being on the show. And I just love this topic. And, uh, I, I wish everyone by just listening to this episode already grab some wisdom how to integrate into your personal life about happy formation uh but just go by the book or audio book uh or you whatever format or consume the free pdf first because i i've already given it a read uh before and then it is great i learned something new already so thank you Steve. amazing thank you so much Eric. really appreciate it